Well, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Thank you, Brent. Did a great job. Turn, if you will, again to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I want to bring you a message I've entitled Hated Without a Cause. We'll note that I have a top on my glass this morning because somebody, and I'm not going to mention any names, Brother Bobby, keep putting their finger in my water. So, what can I expect as a follower of Jesus Christ as I live my life in this world? Some, because of the influence of the prosperity gospel, believe that if we are true believers, we should not have any difficulties in life. We should have lives of ease and affluence. We should have everything that we need and never have any difficulties or sickness or lack. But the truth is that godly believers are not always healthy, and they're certainly not all wealthy. As John Phillips so bluntly puts it, when God seeks to attract someone to Christ, he does not hand out slick brochures offering houses and land, wealth and health success and security in this world. He tells us things as they are. The world hated Jesus, and it will hate his followers too. Sometimes believers suffer and are persecuted. And when life does not fit our neat little theological box that we've placed God in, then some toss aside their faith or even deny reality. Yet Jesus never promised that life as a believer would be constant, smooth sailing. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite. A problem-free life is not necessarily a sign that God is pleased with our lives. And the absence of persecution may actually indicate that something is wrong. In many places in our world today, to choose Christ is to choose death. Every month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians. According to the Research Center, 75% of the world's population live in areas with severe religious persecution. Even the United States Department of State says that Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their government or from surrounding neighbors simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And while we may not see Christians killed in our country very often, there is a constant opposition to the cause of Christ. Christians are negatively characterized on television and in the movies News writers often slant their version of the stories involving Christians to make us look backward, 
uneducated, and just plain wacko. You can even note the differences in the current reporting on the Olympics in Rio. And notice the difference between those who proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ and those who proclaim something else. The Christians are not going to be given an opportunity to express their praise for Christ. Those who stand for the truth of God's word are insulted, they're lied about, and they're criticized. Christians in the workplace who let their faith be known are often maligned and passed over promotion. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. The words that Jesus speaks in verse 18 of chapter 15 certainly must have jolted his disciples even as they continue to unsettle believers today. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Although this verse, this verse begins with the word if, the matter is really not in question. The if that is used here is called a conditional verb in the Greek. It means since. The dominant theme of the text today is the hostility of the world to Christ and to his followers. And the word hate and hatred is a strong term, and it's repeated eight times in these verses. Previously, Jesus has shown his disciples how deeply he loved them. And now he shows and draws the contrast to that love by explaining that the world is not going to love them, but is going to hate them. Throughout his ministry, Jesus warned his disciples that they could expect that being his followers would not be an easy existence, that in fact they, would, they could expect to be persecuted. The world does not stop at just hatred, however. The Bible is filled with predictions of the cost of discipleship. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9, Jesus said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, And no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Persecution, tribulation, trials, and suffering 
are all words used in the Bible to describe the plight of those who are faithful to Christ and in opposition to the world. This is not something that might happen to Christians, but it is something that is promised will happen to Christians. We deceive ourselves if we look for anything other than hatred or at the very least indifference from the world. Everything that Jesus shares with his disciples about persecution was for the purpose that they would not be taken unaware and caused to stumble. So this morning I want to look at three simple things the Lord lays out about persecution. First of all, he says, don't be surprised by persecution. And he goes on to identify three reasons why his followers will be hated by the world. First of all, the world hates Christians because they are different. They are not of this world. Verse 19 says, if you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world... But I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There is an inevitability to the world's hatred of Christians when verse 19 says, If you were of the world, the construction of that sentence implies a negative. It would mean if you were of the world and you are not. The word used here to describe the world is the word cosmos. And it is not the physical globe that he's talking about, but the world system that is opposed to Christ. There is a sense in which Christians belong to the world, obviously. Everyone lives in the physical world. Believers are born into exactly in the same way as non-believers We grow up with the same attractions and distractions. But true believers of Jesus are not of the world in the sense of the things that matter. As I said, the word cosmos is a word from which we get the word cosmetics. It means to be put in order. What is being alluded to here is the world order or system. And it speaks of the world's values and its pleasures and its pastimes and its goals. The reason that the world hates Christians is because they are not of it. They are distinct. The world hates them because they are different, because they refuse to conform. In the same way, the more you look like Christ, the more the world is going to treat you the same way it treated him. When you Don't act and talk and think like the world. You're going to make the world uncomfortable. If the church in America today is not undergoing persecution, it may be because there is so little distinction between the world and Christians, between the world and the church. Religious surveys consistently show us that there are less and less noticeable differences between the lifestyles of those who attend church and those who do not. Church members wear the same clothes as the secular culture. 
They watch the same movies. They get divorced at the same rate. They use drugs just as bad as the non-believers. They buy as many lottery tickets. They have as many affairs. And they use just as many questionable business practices. But the more you look like Christ, the more the world is going to treat you in the same way that it treated him. Secondly, the world hates Christians because it hates Christ. Verse 22 says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. I think Dr. Boyce has a good illustration of what it means and the way the world accepts us as Christians. He says, we have an illustration of this in the way that Americans are hated in some part of the world. If you were to visit in some of those places, and I found this to be true, you will find that you are severely disliked and sometimes in danger. But the problem really is not with you. The people you meet don't even know you. The problem is that you are an American and that America and its policies are hated in some of these places. The hatred that you experience is a mark of your citizenship. In the same way, the hatred of the world against Christians is a mark of their identification with Jesus, whom the world despises. The world hates Christ, and because they hate Christ, they hate Christians. But they hate Christ because he came and taught men and women that they could not get away with relative goodness. As Jesus spoke to the religious crowds, he overturned their traditions, and he exposed the emptiness of their religious rituals. His words shattered their self-justification that Jews had practiced, and he he wrecked their confidence as being spiritual women and men, and they hated him for it. Christ's words and his works brought sin to light. Had it not been for the presence of Jesus in the world, perhaps they could have been able to say, we didn't know. But now they have no excuse. Jesus had been among them and he had pointed the way to the truth. And now they are without excuse. The reason that the world hates Jesus and those who bear the name of Jesus is because Jesus exposes their sin. When Jesus says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. He does not mean They would not be guilty of sin, but rather now their sins are exposed and they have no excuse for ignoring it. People of the world don't want to be told that they are sinners because then they would need a savior. They don't want a savior or at least they want to be able to pick one of their own choosing. They don't like to be exposed for what they really are.
That's what James says about those who see themselves reflected in the Word of God. He says in James 1.23, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That's exactly the way the Jews reacted to Jesus. They could not stand to be exposed. He made them face who they really were, sinners. He made them responsible for their own sin. And third, the world hates Christians so that the word of God might be fulfilled. Verse 25 says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. The world hated Jesus because he exposed their sin. He showed them who they were, and they didn't like it even a lot. John three nineteen and 20 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So when you are rejected for Christ, consider that Christ is affirming his call in your life and you are becoming a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Those who sit in the pew from week to week and never speak the name of Christ require few opponents because they represent very little threat to the kingdom of darkness. So don't be surprised by persecution. Secondly, don't be lacking in understanding about persecution. There are two things that the readers are asked to do in our text today. And both of them relate to gaining an understanding of the matter of the world's persecution of those who follow Christ. So there are two words that I want you to underline in your Bible. The first thing the readers are asked to do is found in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I want you to underline the word know. This is a Greek word which means implies a growth in understanding. Rather and attaining a, rather than attaining a full or complete understanding. It is the idea that as you mature in Christ, as you mature in your Christian faith, as you grow in your understanding of the world's hatred for Christ, you will understand more about this world. The second thing that the, the reader is asked to do is in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And there I would invite you to underline the word remember. It carries with it the meaning of exercise of understanding. It shows that we are to think over those truths in our mind. We are to let those truths sink in and to recall them for constant use. 
taken together, the believer is to know that the world hates Christians because he hates Christ and remember that since they are, they are persecuted, they are persecuted because they are Christians. The second part of verse 20 goes on to say, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all of these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to have the situation, same situation that I had. Some people are going to persecute you and some people are going to accept your words. Although there will always be a larger number that will be antagonistic toward the believer, there will always be some who will accept what you say, who will accept the truth. Some may believe the gospel through the testimony of our lives, and some who are already believers may be positively impacted because of our lives. Yet although some will accept Christ's teachings and therefore that of his disciples, their number will be fewer fewer than those who do not. Jesus warns in Matthew 7, 13, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who grow in. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. The believer is not to be lacking in understanding about persecution. And third and finally, we're not to be overwhelmed by persecution. Chapter 16, verse number 1 says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these not known have not known the Father nor me. Quite simply, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. The word here, stumble, is a very interesting word. It is the word scandalazo. It is the word that we get scandal from. When you stumble, your walk is interrupted. And that's what the Lord wants to prevent. The word carries the idea of being offended in such a way as to abandon the faith. We are caused to stumble when we are overwhelmed by persecution. Now, there are several ways that we can react when we are overwhelmed. We, we can react by adopting the ways of the world so that we can fit in, in order that we look, might look like the world and not be an object of hatred. Or we might look for a place to hide, Never come out. Hide away for fear of the onslaught of hatred. Or it might, we might react by returning hatred for hatred. That's very easy. But we can avoid any of these potential reactions by embracing the things that Christ has told us. Jesus mentions two kinds of persecution. But I believe that they're meant to represent a whole host a range of afflictions that the early Christians might endure. First, he says, there's the threat of excommunication. But in Jesus' day, that was a lot more than just being separated from the spiritual life of Israel, being separated from the temple and worship. 
To be excommunicated meant to be isolated from most of the activities that made up Jewish life. It was not only separation from the spiritual life of Israel, but also from the social and economic life as well. And secondly says, there's the distinct possibility of physical persecution. Jesus told these things to his disciples so that they would be prepared. Verse number four says, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. The book of Acts records that when these things did come to pass, just as Jesus said that they would, the disciples were prepared. This can be seen in the way that the disciples responded to their persecutions. They didn't even pray for them to pass. They prayed that they might be bold in the face of persecution. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to, your, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. He has told us that persecution will be a part of life for all those who live godly in this world. We're not to be startled by the hatred of the world. It's to be expected. Persecution will come. Given the character of Christianity and the wickedness of this world and the hatred of our enemy, it is inevitable that persecution, both great and small, will arise. But Satan cannot win. The victory has already been won. And we ask only to remain faithful. I love how the author Max Lucado describes this final victory scene in his book entitled The Applause of Heaven. He says, you'll be home soon. You may not have noticed it, but you're closer to home now than you've ever been before. Each moment is a step taken. Each breath is a page turned Each day, a mile marked, a mountain climbed. You're closer to home than you've ever been. Before you know it, your appointed arrival time will come. You'll descend the ramp and enter the city. You'll see faces that are waiting for you. You'll hear your name spoken by those you love. And maybe, just maybe, in the back behind the crowd, the one who would rather die than live without you, will remove his pierced hands from his heavenly robe and applaud. Let's pray. Father, more than anything else, we want to please you with our lives. But we also recognize that that's a very difficult thing. We're tempted by the world. We are distracted by the world. There are all kinds of attractions, both good and bad, that would take us away from following you. And the world, by its opposition, will try to move us into being conformed to the world. But help us, Lord, to be transformed by your Spirit. May we live boldly for you in these days. Give us strength, Lord. We are weak. We need you to walk with us. 
We need your strength for our strength is insufficient. And Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, has never started a walk with you, maybe realize that the time has come that they need to, to make a decision. They make a, need to make a stand for you. Help them to recognize that they are a sinner, that they cannot save themselves. But the Lord Jesus has already paid the cost of their sin on the cross of Calvary. And all they have to do is accept that, repent of their sins, and accept that payment on the cross. There's one here today. Help them, Lord, to recognize that they can do that right here, right now, and change their direction, change their destination. And so, Lord, we pray for that person who may need to make that decision. Others who are grappling with decisions that they need to make in their lives. I pray that they turn to you to find the wisdom that they need as they choose their path. Lord, I pray that you would help us as Christians to find our strength in you, to turn from the direction of the world and be distinct. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.